Good morning, church. Oh, yeah. That feels like I feel right at home in the classroom. Got a few of my former students out here. I might call on a few of you guys to, during, the, during the session. You never know. Probably not. <laughs> uh, hey, thank y'all so much for um, allowing my wife and I to serve alongside of you guys over the last four and a half or so years um, here at Stonebridge. Um, especially want to thank the elders um, and Dr. Easley for uh, their leadership, their guidance, um, and for allowing me the platform today uh, to bring God's word. Uh, definitely not something that is taken lightly. And so I, I, uh, I'm very grateful for that. Um, as we begin our message, uh, I want to remember for a second uh, a message that Dr. Easley brought about a month ago. Uh, he spoke on uh, the theology of suffering. He talked about the Apostle Paul and how he suffered for the sake of the gospel. He talked about how we in our Western Christianity don't truly understand what that means. And if we even have ever suffered for anything the way that Paul suffered for the gospel. He made statements like Western Christianity is this idea that life is just going to work out a certain way if I'm a good Christian. He talked about if-then theology about, well, if I do these things, then God will bless me in this way. And, and to be honest, as I sat there listening to his message and then pondered it over the month or so that I was preparing for this message, I mean, I, I know that our faith doesn't work that way, that if I do this, then God will do, do that. But I can't help but recognize that as I was prepping for the message, if I did enough good things, then God would bless me in today's message, you know? It's just one of those things where you just can't really get away from that. It's our Western theology that we just have. And so I wonder if you've thought about the culture that you were raised in, or that, that we live in, this, this culture of religion. You know, I, I was raised in, in Florida. Um, I was raised... In the culture of religion, my, my grandfather is a minister of music in the Southern Baptist Church. He's been that for, oh, it seems like 100 years, okay? My father read the Bible every day. He was a great example of a godly biblical man that, to this day, starts his day by reading the, the Bible. My mom serves in the church in many capacities, and every time the church doors were open, whether it's Sunday morning, Sunday night, or Awana's on Wednesdays, like, I was there. And so, like, the culture that I was raised in, it was the culture of religion. And I never suffered for anything, much less the gospel. You know, when I was in high school, I uh, went to a public high school, um, when the world around me was doing X, Y, or Z, uh, and I wouldn't do X, Y, or Z because of my faith, Okay, no big deal. Maybe a little bit of peer pressure here and there, but really not that, not bad. When I get to college, playing a sport with guys from all over the Southeast, from all different walks of life, when they were doing X, Y, and Z, and I wouldn't do X, Y, and Z because of my faith, okay, not, not a big deal. Now in my adult life, when... Others are doing X, Y, and Z, and I'm not doing X, Y, and Z because of my faith. 
Okay. Not that big a deal. As we gather this morning and we open God's word freely with no danger to us at all, I wonder what it's like in China or in Afghanistan or Somalia or any of the countries in the northern parts of Africa. Like, what is, it, what is that even like? I can't even fathom that. You see, I was raised in a culture where I have never truly suffered for anything, much less the gospel. So as we start, I want to pose this question. Am I as concerned for those who haven't heard of Jesus as I am about myself? Am I as concerned for those who have never heard of Jesus as I am about myself? My prayer for us this morning is that we recognize God's command to live a life that is more focused on telling the world who he is than on making our lives just a little bit more comfortable. That's my prayer for us this morning. Now, I, I realize that it's a little bit cliche to go to Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20 on a commissioning Sunday uh, as a missionary and talk about the Great Commission. Okay, I recognize that. Um, so I won't stay there for long, but I do want to point out a few things. Okay, when you go to Matthew 28, 19 and 20, you see Jesus say a handful of things. But the first thing that he says is to go and make disciples. And so if we are to make disciples, a disciple in essence is a learner. Well, we're to make learners of what? Learners of the gospel. So we're to make believing learners or learning believers. Well, in order for someone to be a believing learner, it, it takes someone who is a believer to teach them. So for us to then make disciples, believing learners, someone has to teach them, okay? Um, it's really no different than what God has been teaching us or has been pressing into Israel in the Old Testament, okay? I can't tell you how many times we've talked about in Creation to Christ this year or in Junior Bible that the nation of Israel has been told by God to teach the next generation so that they don't forget. So they don't forget. They don't forget who God is. What he has done for them. And what he's going to do. That's, that's what God was pressing into Israel. Well, that's what Jesus is saying. Go and make believing learners. Teach them. So that they know who Christ is. So that they know what Christ has done for them and what Christ has promised to do in the future. So it's not a different tune. It's not even a different song. It's the God of the universe telling us to make learning believers, to teach them, to teach the next generation. The second thing that we see there is that we are to make disciples, make learning believers of all nations. Now, when you see this word or these words, all nations, uh, you'd be tempted to think, okay, well, that's the geopolitical lines of the, 
outline of the, of the country. Okay, so if you look at the continent of Africa and you see South Africa or Tanzania or Kenya or South Sudan or Ethiopia or Sudan or all other countries there, I mean, I'm definitely bragging on myself in all those countries of Africa that I know, but don't ask me any more countries, okay? <laughs> That's about all I know. But look, those are, those are geopolitical lines, right? That's not the nations that Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about go and make disciples, go and make learning believers of all ethnic groups, of all tribes, of all tongues, of all people groups across the world. We know this. God tells us multiple times. All you got to do is look in Revelation chapter 5 or Revelation chapter 7, and we see that in heaven, when we get there, we'll be worshiping and praising our Lord and Savior with brothers and sisters from all different walks of life, from all different tribes and tongues and nations and people groups. So we are to go and make learning believers of these different people groups. Now, not everybody can go. That's not, even, that's not even the picture that God gives us in, in his word. But some can go. But in order for some to go, there must be some church somewhere sending people who are able to go. And we have this picture through the life of, of the Apostle Paul. So I want to quickly look at a map as we turn, well, don't turn there yet. We're going to be in Romans for a bit, but I want to look at this map, okay? The Apostle Paul has a sending church in the city of Antioch. We know that he was on three missionary journeys. He starts in Antioch in all three of them. He ends there in the first two, and he most likely would have ended there in the third one, but as he stops in Jerusalem on his third one, he gets arrested and then ultimately gets shipped out to Rome where he dies. But the church in Antioch is the sending church. So he writes a letter to the church of Rome while on his third missionary journey while he's in Corinth. Now, as you see that arrow right there, please do not see that as that's Paul's missionary journey. That's my arrow that I drew on the computer, okay? So, like, that's not where he went. I'm just kind of making the little point here. He is on his third mission journey. He's in Corinth. He writes a letter to the church in Rome. So... That's where I'd like for us to kind of start. This is where he's writing to the church in Rome. So open your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 15. And we're going to read just a few verses in chapter 15. Romans chapter 15 in verses 20 through 25. Now, typically in my class, this is where I would have someone stand up and read in front of everybody. I'm sure Malachi wouldn't have any issues. I won't make you do that. Don't worry. <laughs> We're in Romans chapter 15, verses 20 through 25. Thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, that I might not build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. For this reason, I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now, with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have had for many years a longing to come to you, whenever I go to Spain, 
For I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you when I first enjoyed your company for a while. So we're not going to just take the entire time looking at these five verses. But what I do want you to see is that as Paul is writing this letter to the church of Rome, he tells them that he desires to come to them so that they may help him get to Spain. So as he's writing this letter to Rome, he's going to go there after he goes back to Jerusalem, back to Antioch, then to Rome, and then to Spain, so that he can take the gospel to where it hasn't been taken. And he says in verse 20, I aspire to preach the gospel not where Christ has already named, but where he hasn't. So it makes sense. On his way to, to Spain, where the gospel has not been shared, he's going to stop at the church in Rome, hang out with some buddies for a bit, and then they're going to help him on his way. But also don't miss, in verse 23, he says something inter interesting. But now, with no further place for me in these regions, maybe some of your translation says there's no further work for me. In, this, in these regions. Because that's, that's what he's saying. There's no more work for me in this region. I wonder why Paul said that. I mean, if we, if we look at what region he's talking about, there's a lot of work to do. There's plenty of things that a man like Paul could do. I mean, all you got to do is read the book of 1 Corinthians and know that, hey, there's a lot of work left in, in that town. But he says there's no more work to do. Why would he say that? That doesn't make sense. But you see, if you really look at it and you read his letters, in all those places that he's been, he's planted a church. He shared the gospel. He's discipled. He's made believing learners who are now making believing learners in that area. So once he's made believing learners and planted a church, he goes to the next place, preaches his gospel, makes believing learners, plants a church, leaves, goes somewhere else. That's what, he, that's what his work is. His desire, his heart is to take the good news to places that haven't heard. And so that's the model that we have here. As a church, we, we are charged to actively train up and equip and send people all over the world to make believing learners of all nations. Now, I want you to look at a map for me really quick. On this map, you've got a lot of colors, okay? Um, you'll see a lot of greens, reds and oranges, and then some yellows and stuff in there too. What this map is, by the way, the first time I saw this was uh, in January of 2022 with a few of these folks. I love you guys. So this map has got a bunch of greens, like where the United States is and where Canada is and South America and Australia. That green 
okay? That is where the gospel is accessed freely, no issues. I mean, every single one of you here is reading the Bible in your language. There are lots of churches in the middle Tennessee area for you to go to. Now, that, there's not very many that are gospel teaching, but, but like, there's a lot of them here, right? I mean, you could go anywhere and open a Bible. The gospel is freely available in all of those areas that are green. And in all of those areas that are red and orange, there's a lot of unreached, unengaged, don't have access to a Bible to read. They don't have access to the gospel. Many of them will be born, will live their life, and they will die without hearing the gospel. This next slide is, is the top 15 nations that are red or orange. Okay? Just just because there's seven of them that are in red, those are on the continent of Africa. And as you're reading some of those lists, those names, you could probably imagine what it might be like. What it might be like to be a Christian. How hard it is to just live life in some of the harshest places on earth. And they don't have the gospel. They don't have access to the gospel. There are tribes and people groups in those countries, those geopolitical countries, there's hundreds of people groups that don't have their language even written down, much less the Bible translated. So as we look at this map one more time, I want you to see all of the red and orange. In those areas, there are three plus billion people who live in those areas. And of those three plus billion people, many of them, maybe all of them, will live their lives having never heard the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, maybe your brain isn't the way that my brain is, but that prompts a question for me. Of those three plus billion people that live their lives and will die and have never heard the gospel, well, what happens to them when they die? Have you ever thought about that? Well, God does tell us by the, the letter that Paul writes to the church of Rome. So let's quickly turn to Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, we're going to read just a few verses. For the first thing that we'll see in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, is that God has made himself known to all people. God has made himself known to all people. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. 
Paul tells us that God has made himself known to all people by way of his creation, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature has been clearly seen. Those are his words. Those are God's words. So that no man is without excuse. So we know that God has made himself known to all people. The next thing that we're going to see is that all people, which is the people that God has made himself known to, all people reject God. Let's read verses 21 through 25. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures." Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, that their bodies might be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who was blessed forever. Amen. So, we know that God has made himself known to all people so that, all, that no man is without excuse, and we know that all people reject God. You see, we also know, based on what Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 15, that all men are inherently evil. You see, he says, while he's teaching to the disciples, that what comes from within the heart is what makes us sinners. It's not the things that we do. I say this all the time to our students. You aren't a sinner because you do bad things. We do bad things because our heart is evil. We are sinners by nature. So if what comes out is from the heart and it's sin, and God has made himself known to me, I reject God. He says in Romans chapter uh, 8 that in my flesh, in my sin, I am hostile toward God. In my flesh, in my sin, I am at war with God. I am in opposition of God. He says in Romans chapter 5 that while I was helpless, while I was completely dead in my sin, in my flesh, that's when he saved me. All, including us, reject God. That is our flesh. That is our nature. So, if God has made himself known to all people, and all people reject God, then all people are guilty of their sin. Let's read Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 12. Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 12. Now, really quick, a little context here. Uh, Paul is writing to the Jews right now. And so when he says, we are better than they, uh, he's talking about we being Jews better than they, the Gentiles. So just in context so you can understand what he's saying here. Verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both 
Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. That, if it wasn't already clear, makes it unexcusable. God has made himself known. All men reject God. We, no man does good, not even one. And we are guilty of our sin. All men. You see, Paul, we don't have time to go into more places in Romans, but Paul describes that what we as humans, what we have earned, what we work for, what we have earned is death because of our sin. We are guilty. We stand before a holy God who is holy and separate from us and in our flesh, we are guilty of that sin. All people, not some, all. Next, all people are accountable to God. All people know who God is. God has made himself known to all people. All people reject God. All people are guilty of their sin. All people are accountable to God. Verses 19 and 20, chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, 19 and 20. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. That every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Now, it's pretty clear that under the law, under the Ten Commandments, we are able to know our sin. And God, and God says, by way of Paul, that the world is accountable to God for their sin. But maybe you're asking the next question, which is what I asked. What about the people that don't know the law? What about the people that have never heard the law? What about the people who have never read this? Are they still judged by the law even though they don't know it? I mean, look, that's what Paul's words. Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So do they not know that they're sinners? So therefore they're innocent? That's why it's important that we allow God himself to teach us theology and not the world. Because it's easy to say, you know, God is just a super loving God and those that have never heard, they're innocent because they've never heard, so he'll just let them in. He'll just let them in. I mean, how could God? Well, let's think about this for a second. If 
Someone has never heard the gospel, literally, living in a remote village. They don't have the gospel. They don't have the Bible. They've never heard it. And with the, the thought process that they're innocent because they've never heard the gospel, so then God won't judge them for their lack of knowledge, and he'll just let them into heaven. Then what's the worst thing that we could do for that person? Go and tell them the gospel. That's literally the worst thing we could do. Because then they have an excuse of like, oh, you know, I don't, no, it's not for me. That theology completely undercuts scripture. If that were true, then why would Jesus say to go to the people groups and make disciples? So what I hope you're hearing me is that if God has made himself known to all people, he's made himself known to all, everyone around the world, and all people, that's you, me, and them, everyone, reject God, and all people are guilty of their sins, and all people are accountable to God, then regardless if someone has heard the gospel or not, we all stand guilty and condemned before a holy God. Now, I recognize that this is, this is weighty. Like I've, I've felt the weightiness of this message for a month I'm just happy to share the burden a little bit, if I'm being honest. <laughs> but it's important that we as the church, that we if, we, if we actually believe what this says, and God has commanded us to teach and make believing uh, learners, learning believers of all nations, then shouldn't we be doing that? Now, praise God, that's not where the story ends. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Jesus Christ. God has provided the way of salvation through faith. In Jesus Christ, I would be remiss to not at least go one time to my favorite book in the New Testament. John, the gospel according to John, chapter 14, verse 6. Everyone knows it. You probably can quote it. He's teaching the disciples, and he says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. 
The way, singular. The truth, singular. The life, singular. No one comes to the Father except through him. So, if we know that he is the way, and we know that all men stand guilty and condemned against a holy God, and we have the truth, then what are we doing? We should be going and teaching. We should be equipping and training and sending actively so that those who have never heard may hear. I'm going to ask this question and answer it for yourselves based on what we have just learned. For those who do not believe in Jesus as the Messiah, can they enter into the kingdom of God when they die? For those who do not believe, whether they've heard or not, can they enter into the kingdom of God when they die. So, for those three plus billion people who have never heard, who will literally be born, will live their life, and will die, Jesus commands us, not a suggestion, not for you to say, ah, that's not for me. It is a commandment to go and teach We've already read verses 19 and 20 from Matthew 28. I want to go now to Romans chapter 10, verses 11 through 15, to see that God commands his people to make the gospel known to all people. Romans chapter 10, verses 11 through 15. For the scripture says, Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. Verse 14. How then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. You see, Paul lays it out very, very clear. Again, unless it hasn't been clear already, like it's literally a paint by numbers, step by step. This is what we are to do. You are to go and make believing learners of all nations. Well, in order for them to be saved, they must call on the name of the Lord. Verse 14. Well, in order to call upon the name of the Lord, they must be a believer. Verse 14. And in order to be a believer, they must hear. Verse 14. And in order to hear, someone has to tell them. Someone has to preach to them. Someone has to proclaim the good news to them. 
And that was verse 14. And in order to preach, listen here, church, in order for someone to go and tell them, people have to be sent. Just like Paul was sent by the church in Antioch, so are me and my wife and our boys, Mark and Holly Woodard, are sent by a church. And it's not a brick and mortar building, it's you. And if we are not actively equipping and training and discipling and sending, then those three plus billion will never hear. They'll never hear. Look, I recognize that it's weighty. And so to try and <laughs> try and tie a nice clean bow on this, all right, I want to read a modern parable, okay? It's not, not in the Bible, but you'll, you'll understand it, okay? On a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks often occur, there was once a crude little life-saving station. The building was just a hut, and there was only one boat. But the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea. And with no thought for themselves, they went out day and night, tirelessly searching for the lost. Many lives were saved by this wonderful little life-saving station. And it became famous. Some of those who were saved and various others in the surrounding area wanted to become associated with this station. And they wanted to give their time and their money and their energy to support its work. So new boats were bought, new crews were trained, and the little life-saving station grew. Some of the members of the life-saving station, they were unhappy that the building was so crude and poorly equipped. They felt a little more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge of those saved from the sea. So they replaced the emergency cots and beds and put better furniture in the enlarged building. Now, the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members, and they decorated it beautifully and furnished it exquisitely because they used it as sort of a club. Fewer members were now interested in going to sea on life-saving missions, so they hired a life-saving crew to do that work. The life-saving motif still prevailed, and the club's decorations and there was a liturgical lifeboat in the room where club initiations were held. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the hired crews brought in loads of cold, wet, dirty, half-drowned people, and the beautiful new club was considerably messed up. So, the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club where the victims of shipwrecks could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities as being unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal social life. Some members insisted on life-saving as their primary purpose, pointing out that they were still called a life-saving station. They were finally outvoted, and they were told, if you want to save lives of various kinds of people who are shipwrecked in those waters, you can begin your own life-saving station down the coast. And they did. As the years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that occurred in the old one. It evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was founded. 
history continued to repeat itself. And if you visit that coast today, you'll find a number of exclusive clubs along the shore. Shipwrecks are still happening. They're frequent. But most of the people, they drown. I want to end our time with just four questions. We'll start with the first question that I asked. Am I as concerned for those who haven't heard of Jesus as I am about myself? What am I doing to help get the good news of Jesus to the three billion people who have been born, they will live their life, and they will die without the good news of Jesus? Am I concerned about taking the good news of Jesus to those who are spiritually dead? Or am I concerned about being a member of a fancy club that talks about the good news of Jesus? What am I actually doing so that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God and there is no other. Church, live for this. If necessary, suffer or die for this. Because it really is the only thing that truly matters. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for a church home that preaches your word. Thank you for being super clear to us of what you command us to do. I pray that your words penetrate the hearts of those in this room today. That we may focus on taking your word, your saving word to those who have never heard that we as a church will actively equip and train up and disciple and send people to those who have never heard. I love you, God. Amen.